1: Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Today, we're talking about what to do when your work crush starts ignoring you, when your spouse quietly quits the marriage, and when a partner's mom seems to control his every move. Here to help me out today is Shan Boudram. She is a certified sex educator, dating coach, and intimacy expert. She's the host of the podcast, Lovers and Friends, and the author of The Game of Desire, She was previously a resident expert on Netflix's Too Hot to Handle, and she stars in Peacock's new show, X-Rated, with Andy Cohen. So before we get started, I do want to ask you a quick question that we ask all our guests. Um, Is there a piece of advice that you would just like to give unsolicited with nothing to do with the letter, just something you just want people to know?
2: Yeah, it's an aha that I came to recently, that in order to be happy to genuinely be present and mindful and content in the moment. So many things have to be going right. In Mm. order to be sad, one thing has to go wrong. Mm. So give yourself some grace for not being as happy as you possibly can be all the possible time. It's a lot more difficult than I think a lot of us give it credit for.
1: That makes a lot of sense. How, like, What percentage of the time do you think people should expect to be happy? Obviously, this is different with like life circumstances, mental health, all of that. But what's like a good goal?
2: There's like a breakdown that 40% of happiness is hereditary or it's Mm. biological. And then I think 10% or 20% is based on circumstances beyond your control that are environmental. And then the remainder of it is based on the choices that you make. So that is to be said that let's say 30% of the time, it's really in your control. And Sometimes the choices that we make are not optimized for happiness. They're optimized for priorities or health or other people's happiness. So if we Mm -hmm. say 30% of the time, it's in our control. And within that 30% of the time, maybe 15% of the time, we're actually able to prioritize happiness. And then within that 15% of the time, we make the wrong choice. So let's say mm -hmm,
1: 8%. And there's something to be said for being content, right?
2: Yes, I think content is the record that you play when you're like, mm-hmm. things aren't perfect. Things aren't great. Things are not going exactly my way, but there's other things to be grateful for. So when you have to manually be happy, and that's the thing, being sad is so incredibly easy. Being frustrated, being angry is so easy. Again, it just takes that one thing. Um, so when we have contentment, I think it's when we are experiencing any of those frustrating feelings, but then we remind ourselves that this isn't the totality of our life and that there are other things that we could be focusing on But also, it's really hard to focus on something positive when something annoying is happening.
1: Absolutely. Um, We'll have to keep that in mind for some of these letter writers who I think are all dealing with somewhat annoying things. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So Shannon and I will be right back to dive into your questions after a short break. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babel. I love how easy it is to use. And as a person who can be really self-conscious about making mistakes, I love that I don't have to actually talk to a real human while I'm still working on my vocabulary and my accent. Be a better you in 2024 with Babel, the science-based language-driven learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, and rooted in real-life situations. They're delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, plus all of Babel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com prudy. Get 55% off at babbel.com prudy, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash prudy rules and restrictions may apply welcome back you're listening to dear prudence and i'm here with shan Boudram. hey shan thanks for being here
2: thanks for having me still here
1: let's go ahead and dive in with our first letter it's titled hang up the phone i think my husband is quiet quitting our marriage I think he's having an emotional affair. He works at home, so I know he's not cheating physically, but most days after work, he has a long, involved, animated, and often hilarious conversation
0: with a female coworker. When I talk to him about work, he says very little and is
1: not nearly as excited as he is with his friend. When I push, he says a few obligatory remarks about work when I tell him he can tell me anything, he says it's too detailed and technical and would take too long to explain. He's in marketing, not rocket science. The woman is also in a relationship and is at least 10 years younger than me and him. This doesn't feel good. Am I wrong to feel jealous? Should I confront him and ask him to stop or should I just ignore it? So I just want to start by validating that this is a terrible way to feel, and but not a wrong way to feel. Um, no, you're not wrong for feeling jealous. I am interested in the application of the term quiet quitting to a marriage. Um, I've heard it in the professional context where it sort of means doing the bare minimum, not going above and beyond, not taking on those extra tasks, um, Do you think this constitutes quiet quitting in a marriage or is it something worse actually violating the marriage agreement?
2: I don't know. I think we, in any long-term relationship, even work, go through patches of quiet quitting. So I don't think it's uncommon for people to feel disengaged and unmotivated. Um, And that is where I think this question, which is so tricky, I actually asked my husband because sometimes I just get a male perspective on this because I might go to the like have having conversation and put all the cards on the table and be vulnerable and be very clear and ask all your questions. And um, there's a very big difference between communicating to be heard and communicating to get what you want. And sometimes being heard feels good, but it moves us further away from the goal of what we want. So I wanted to make sure I wasn't giving advice that did that where it's like, yeah, it would feel satisfying to say all the things and to you know, confront your partner and to bring all of the evidence that you've collected through this time and to watch their face, you know, in stunnedness, try to backpedal their way out of this problem. There could be something satisfying to that, but are you going to get any closer to your goal of being more connected to your partner? And Esther Perel has a phenomenal line, which is, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be married? I think that's, it can come across cheeky, but I think it's a genuine question to ask yourself sometimes, because sometimes you want to be right. That's Mm -hmm. the case you feel wronged, you feel hurt, and you want this other person to know that they have crossed a boundary and that there's repercussions for that and that you're hurt and you're going to do something about that hurt. So if you want to be right, then I do think that you go in and you say that I feel left out in this relationship. I feel like you have moved on emotionally. You've checked out. I'm still looking for ways and pathways for us to connect. You don't seem to be looking for me at all And I'm pissed or I'm hurt, whatever it is. And so that's a valid route if you want to be right. If you want to stay together, I would try to think of the more creative ways in which you can reignite the connection or start creating pathways where your partner can feel excited about being around you. And I think this is like a basic concept that we can all kind of get on board with. When you ask a kid, what's your favorite subject in school? Most times it's correlated with the subject that they're doing the best in. Very mm-hmm. rarely is someone like, oh, I love math. Like, what's your grade? D? No. <laughs> right? You're mm-hmm. like, I love art. I'm getting an A plus. Or I love math. I'm the best in my class. So when we're in relationships where we don't feel like we're doing good, it is obvious that this partner does not feel like their partner is doing good. You're not connecting with me. The conversations we have is dry and boring. Right? You know, you're not giving me enough. So you obviously feel like your romantic partner isn't giving. You're giving them a D right now, and they can feel that D energy. So people tend to disengage in things where they're not feeling like they're appreciated. And don't get me wrong; sometimes it's for good reason. It's like you're getting a D because you're giving a D. Mm-hmm. So as a t- the person, you can either think, how can I encourage and motivate this person to want to be engaged? How can I make this fun for them? Um, Or continue to give them a feeling great. So
1: don't you feel like it's so hard to compete with a new, exciting person, though? It just seems to me the letter writer could be amazing and fun and really want to hear all about work. And her husband could still just be more intrigued by his exciting, like relatively new coworker and everything she brings to the table.
2: Yeah, but that that means that they have novelty on their side and novelty doesn't really last that long. Mm -hmm. And most studies will tell you that familiar is going to win out over novel. And don't get me wrong. Yes, I always say this. New cannot compete with old, but old also can't really compete with new. Mm -hmm. So what new can provide that fresh feeling, those butterflies in your stomach, the unknown, you know, the space where desire and attraction and lust can really live, which is the risk and reward center. And when we have been with someone for a long time and we know that they're going to say yes, or we know where they're going to be later on, and we know what we're going to eat for dinner. There's not a lot of mystery left to get excited about. So absolutely, I agree with you. But I do think that when it comes to having someone who understands you, having a soft space to land, not having to constantly overexplain yourself not having to be so mindful of your tone because that person understands your intention, all those things. When you are in a truly connected relationship, I do not think that new really competes with old. Um, I mean, this is a concept that I like readily accept because my marriage is open. And a lot of people ask about the fears that are associated with that. I literally have none. Really? ain't nobody competing with me. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So I'm glad you brought that up because I actually have in my notes to ask you like, what do you think is your n- unique perspective on this as a person who's in an open relationship? Because, I mean, I'm projecting here, but I can imagine you just saying, this is so silly. You know, it's it's normal. It's normal to feel connections with other people. And if she would just get over it and just let him do this and realize that it's not an assault on her, things could be so much easier. But maybe that's, I don't know. How do you see it?
2: No, I don't see it that way. But it is a great point. But I think that's also a, a rule that my husband and I even put into place very early on, wherein Our extension, our openness has to be an extension of our fullness, right? So we're bursting from the inside with love and appreciation and connection. And it's natural to take that energy and feel like, oh, I'm excited to see what other people have to offer. And I want to bring that back to my partnership. So Mm -hmm. if we're empty, we're not going outside to try to fill up what's already within. We're only going outside if we're bursting from the inside. And so this couple doesn't sound like they're bursting from the inside. It sounds like they're from a place of depletion. That isn't to say that this person could possibly be a positive tool. They are offering your partner bursts of energy. But the problem is they're not taking that energy and then bringing it towards you. If they are experiencing, that's when attraction outside of relationship can be positive. I'm getting attracted by somebody else. I feel really turned on. I go out and learn the world. I feel like a sex symbol. And then I come home and I bring that lustful, excited, novel energy into my relationship. There's a disconnect that's happening there. And you're never going to make that connection as long as whatever is happening amongst the two of you um, isn't providing inspiration, joy, and connectivity. So I think that's kind of the base thing that you really have to figure out.
1: That makes a lot of sense. So when you and your husband go out and explore other people, you're not coming home and saying, well, I can't talk to you about this. You wouldn't get it. I'm having all these great conversations, but you know, I don't want to even like have that exchange with you because you know, you're not on my level.
2: Yeah. And it's, don't get me wrong. It's totally natural too to have that. I mean, that's the thing is if we can sometimes take these things out of the context of romantic relationships, I don't care about sports literally at all. I'm so grateful that I have a partner who feels similarly, but if he started to take a big passion up with football, girl, I'm not interested in learning. Go make a friend, go join a fantasy football league, find somebody else. So we don't have to be all things to all each other. I'm not saying that, you know, if you find somebody on the, to make a connection with the outside and they provide something that I don't, um, I still think that there's a very big difference from looking at it. Like, well, I don't get this joy. It's more the feeling, you know, maybe as long as I'm still providing you joy, connection, understanding, that's great. And if you need that in other areas that I'm not interested in, I'm not taking that personal.
1: I looked up one of your old podcasts or blog posts that suggested that um, partners ask each other sort of some expectation setting questions. Would you consider it cheating if, and there are eight things, your partner DM someone they found attractive, your partner saw their ex and went to go grab coffee with them. Your partner flirted and danced with someone at a party. Your partner went on a one-on-one lunch date. And you go on and on and give these scenarios. And I thought it was- You
2: answer them. I, I want to hear your answers.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Your partner DM'd someone they found attractive. Yes. Your partner saw their ex and went to go grab coffee with them. Depends on the ex. Your partner flirted and danced with someone at a party, but did not take down their number at the end of the night. No, that's okay. Your partner kept in touch with their ex via text or social media. That's fine. But again, there's like- Qualifications here, you know, about the intentions and whether it's all above board. Um, your partner went on a one on one lunch date with a coworker or a classmate they found really attractive. I think that's okay as long as the lunch was like professional, educational, like it wasn't all, all about the attraction. Your partner engaged in a friendly text conversation with someone they know for a fact is attracted to them. I think as long as I kept it relatively light and, again, didn't, like, dig into the attractiveness, um, my husband's going to listen to this and we're going to have a whole <laughs> conversation. So gonna, we'll
2: He's like, probably, oh, wow, there were so much more green lights than I thought. We actually,
1: like, take this and make it a Slate Plus episode because this could be an interesting, it was probably an important conversation. Um, your partner admitted to fantasizing about anybody else while being sexually intimate with you. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. Um, I don't know if it's cheating, but that's just rude. Um... So anyway, I thought it was interesting that you'd pulled all those questions and they're not useful to the people in this letter right now, but I think they're so useful to avoid getting into the situation where someone's doing something that the other person feels is crossing a line, but those expectations weren't set, right?
2: Yeah, and maybe for this particular couple, it could be useful. I think after you know, you address and repair, you don't want to come in as a police officer when you're already like the mean principle in their mind. So Mm -hmm. I do think that when you guys get to a better place and you find the flow amongst the two of you, it is great to revisit this and say, okay, what are our boundaries? And, you know, we're both clear about when this would be uncomfortable and when you should come to me and talk to check into how I feel.
1: So you're not wrong to feel jealous, but the confrontation is probably not going to get you where you want
2: to go probably not but I don't know your partner
1: okay so our next question is titled clueless connecticut creep
3: I'm a 25 year old man living alone in a city I moved to for work I've never felt comfortable dating so after college I decided to take some time and find myself before trying again well I did that and after four years I think I'm ready the issue is my first step has not gone well At work, I often bumped into a woman near the coffee machine, and we had a few short, shy, flirty conversations. A few weeks ago, I reached out to her for work reasons, and it seemed like genuine flirting began over Gchat. Well, I thought, it's been long enough. Ask her to lunch sometime, so I did. She said yes, but immediately afterwards, her responses became sporadic. On the day of, something came up, common in our TV industry, and I had to request a rain check. She said that was fine, but it's been radio silence from her ever since. She also has been noticeably avoiding common areas in the office and the area I work in. I want to speak to her in person about this, but I'm just not sure if it's a good idea. To be clear, I don't fear rejection. My request was intended to be casual and commitment-free. What I do fear is that I've made her uncomfortable and that it's affecting the way she's living her life. She's AAPI. I'm a cis white guy from Connecticut. I know that can make me threatening, and I work hard to police myself for microaggression and check my privilege. I know I run the risk of seeming pushy or making the situation for her even more awkward, but despite all of this, I'm finding it impossible to live with the idea that another human being is in distress because of my actions. What, if anything, should I say to her? I'm out of my depth here, and frankly, it worries the hell out of me about my future with this or any other girl that I can't figure out the right path forward.
1: So I think dating a coworker um, is not the best idea in the world. And it's especially not the best idea if you have questions about your ability to assess interest or deal with setbacks. So if this letter writer would have asked, you know, I've never felt comfortable dating, but I'm ready to try. Should I approach my coworker? I would have said, no, go on to Bumble. Go go on the apps, go somewhere. Go somewhere where you know everyone is open to dating and it's set up for that. Um, Too many things can go wrong at the office, especially if you're, uncertain and insecure. Um, But now that it's happened, here we are. What do you think you should do next?
2: I think you gave phenomenal advice. I think I agree with that. You did everything right. Imagine we swapped out dating and we put in golf, cooking, Mm. baseball, whatever. Nobody knocks it out of the park in the beginning. And if you've gone Mm -hmm. through a setback and or you have low confidence and you get even more difficult. You need tons of wiggle room to practice, to try new things out, um, to experiment different sides of yourself, to enlist the help of different experts or read different books, whatever it takes. So don't get down on yourself because you didn't perfectly snap into this role and crushed on your first attempt. I agree with Janae though that that's probably not your best first attempt is somewhere that you're going to have frequent engagement with that person. And all the things that you said were just really beautifully outlined, but can't go back. All we can do is go forward. My advice to you would be to get on Bumble or a dating app like that. From this point on and start conversations, start getting better at IOIs, even researching IOIs, indicators of interest uh, can be a huge thing. But even with the best intentions and you pick up on all the IOIs and you're playing a game where you're taking a little step, seeing if they follow. And if they follow, you take a little step further. And if they follow, you could be doing all that. And then someone could just decide or their boyfriend came back in town, or they got really busy, or they have a mental illness, a million things can happen as to why somebody has to withdraw, even if they have been making those advancements with you. So it's not always that your spidey senses are completely off. There's a whole other part of the story that we're just not clued into. But again, not having this kind of awkward setting in somewhere where the stakes are so high for both of you is probably ideal. But now that you are here, I would say nothing.
1: That's exactly what I had written down. I said, sit back and do nothing. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You put get your Elsa on. Let it go. Let it go.
1: (laughs) I love be normal too. Such good advice.
2: Be normal. (laughs) Don't ignore them when you get into the space. Don't like not make eye contact. Just be normal. And it's going to be awkward the first time that you see each other. Maybe the second. But the third or fourth, it'll go away. Promise.
1: You know, I got stuck on this sentence. I'm finding it impossible to live with the idea that another human being is in distress because of my actions. That's really dramatic. Um, I don't think we have a reason to believe that she's in distress. You listed some great possibilities for what could have caused her to retreat. You know, her dog could have died. She could be busy with work. Like you said, her ex-boyfriend could have popped back up. I just want to say to this letter writer, um, like our concrete advice is to sit back and do nothing. But my larger advice is not to be so hard on yourself. Um, you've had some struggles dating, so have a lot of other people. You're putting your best foot forward. That's good. I love that you're so conscious about power dynamics and about not making people uncomfortable. That puts you miles ahead of so many other people. But don't beat yourself up because you're only going to destroy your confidence and have less confidence to approach the next person,
2: right? Well done.
1: Good luck out there. Um, maybe stay away from the coffee machine for a while if it's too weird, right?
2: <laughs> no, go to the coffee. Do your thing. Why You, you got to change nothing. Just, Just be, be normal. normal. <laughs> be normal. Okay.
1: <laughs> You're listening to Dear Prudence. And when we come back, more letters from you and hopefully some helpful advice. Stay tuned. Can't get enough Dear Prudence? Then you should definitely join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. You'll get to hear me answer an extra question every week just for members. With your subscription, you get ad-free listening across the Slate network and unlimited reading on the Slate site, including all Dear Prudence columns, past and present. Go to slate.com forward slash prudyplus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. Again. That's slate.com forward slash prudy plus. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I'm here with my guest, Shan Boudram, to answer your letters. Ready for the next one? Yes. Okay, it's titled Too Sad.
4: I broke up with my boyfriend of four and a half years yesterday because he wasn't ready to move in with me again and is allowing his parents to make this decision for him. We are from different cultures and his parents have never accepted me. I met them once, despite numerous overtures. I sent him home with holiday gifts for them. I wanted him to make a decision on me without their voice in his head. I am so sad. I have never had a broken heart before, despite being in my late 20s. We fought about these issues off and on for years, but I would be lying if I said I knew it would be the end of us. I had thought, despite myself, this would work. I'm in love with this guy. Am I being too inflexible? I feel like at some point, four years in, he knows what I'm about, and he's either on board or not. And by not moving in, he is not. I was also frustrated that his parents who set him up with other women while he was dating me, who would only meet me once, who told their son slash my boyfriend I was fat, get to exert so much control over me by having so much influence over his decisions. It felt like a bad sign for all the decisions we would have to make later, even if we cleared this hurdle. I read so many columns here, and the in-law problems that are really spouse problems are numerous. I could see my future self in them. But there were really good times with this guy, and despite their influence, his parents and he only spoke about one to two times a week. They do live loosely locally. I do know that everyone has flaws, and I really, really love this guy. Am I being unreasonable? Am I ruining a good thing unnecessarily?
1: I think this is an example of a letter writer who sees their situation really, really clearly and knows exactly what to do. And just needs someone else to kind of echo it. So let me volunteer. You're not inflexible. You're not unreasonable. You're not ruining a good thing. It is not normal to have a boyfriend who gets set up with other people, and whose parents don't want him to have anything to do with you.
2: Amen. I think that that's exactly it. I mean, I was kind of struggling to find the jump in point here because. The only thing that I would really iterate is I often talk to people who get to this space where there is a clear point of contention and point of contentions are are very natural in relationship. Then you have to ask yourself, do you have a partner who is willing to compromise? Sometimes there is no middle point between moving in and not moving in, right? So there is no compromise here. Who is willing to lean into the commitment? Is it more important that you guys honor each other or somebody who is just willing to bend and say, you know what? This isn't what I want. But it's what you want. And I know in down the line, you will do things that you don't want to do in order to appease me. I and mean, that's mutuality. And it doesn't look like 50 50 all the time. It looks like a hundred and zero um, once in a while. So I do think if you had somebody who was willing to brainstorm with you, it just, it sounded as if your partner broke up with you for you. They declined something that was important to you to advance the intimacy. And it also sounds like there's a lot of other, you know, maybe incompatibilities in terms of that person's value system and lifestyle. So naturally you have to ask yourself, like, what am I holding on to? And I hear you that there are definitely good times to hold on to, and you should hold on to those. I often talk to people who say that they're like, well, this person has this, this, and this wrong, but they have this, this, and this right. So will I ever find somebody? It's like, Rather than looking at it in that scarcity mindset, you should look at this as abundance. Like, wow, I finally met somebody who aligns with me on these things that I thought were really difficult to find. So I know it's possible. That should encourage you that the other asks are also possible.
1: Right. Imagine how great it will be when you get along with someone and they want to move in with you. And their parents aren't actively working to destroy the relationship. And they make their own decisions. Like just imagine how great that would feel if in addition to the good times, things were actually like functional.
2: Yes. And we all have things that our partners don't bring. You know, as married people, I'm sure we could list the things that our romantic partners don't ideally bring to the relationship. But those are so far down on my list that, I mean, it just, there's no trade-off for me. So it sounds like these things are pretty high up on your list. And so go get them.
1: You know, the letter writer says, I've never had a broken heart before, despite being in my 20s. And I wonder what you think about this idea that struck me that it can kind of, it could be a good thing to get that first broken heart out of the way. So it doesn't seem as scary.
2: Yeah, there is no, people always ask all the time, like, what is the best way to get through a broken heart? There's no way to get around it. You just have to go through it. Right. And I think understanding the science, the neuroscience of what's happening can definitely help you to talk yourself through it. Mm -hmm. But whether you're me or you're a 15 year old, you're going to experience the same feelings. Just your coping strategies might be a little stronger with more knowledge, but I do agree with you. You just, yeah, got to go through it.
1: Yeah. And you have to remember that almost everyone in the world has been through this. And I think it'll seem less overwhelming and less like a hurdle to making the right choice for yourself if you've already been through it once.
2: And yeah, this is the next day. Shit. My gosh, you should be crap. You can even write. You know what I mean? We've been tore up before. I can't even move or get out of bed or it's hard. It's incredibly hard. And withdrawal, especially with something as addictive as love is awful. And it is gruesome to go through. And I'm really sorry that you're going through that But in six months, you're definitely going to be glad that you got through it and you will.
1: Absolutely. This is Dear Prudence. We need to take a break, but when we come back, more letters from you and advice from us. Stay tuned.
0: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it?
1: We have reached our last question. Are you ready for it? Yeah. This letter is titled Falling Apart.
0: I recently got married to a man who loves me dearly. I've been in a lot of bad relationships, but this guy was so different. I have no doubt as his feelings towards me. However, once I moved in with him, things were different. He doesn't take care of himself or his house. He had a very nice house built six years ago, and it's never been clean. There was junk pile everywhere. We worked on the junk together, and I cleaned about half of the rooms, but he doesn't know how to pick up after himself, and he seems to not even see dirt. He's also extremely needy, meaning he tells me that he loves me 20 to 30 times per day at least, and I'm expected to say it back to him each time. He suffers from depression and he eats to deal with emotions. He's got severely uncontrolled diabetes and his eating habits have affected my eating habits. I've gained 30 pounds in just a few months. I asked him to make changes and he makes all kinds of empty promises. He doesn't follow through. I absolutely do love him, but I'm getting extremely depressed over all of this. I thought I found the one, but I just found a different kind of neglect. It's not his fault, but I am becoming very moody and depressed over this i want to live in a clean house with the man who keeps his promises i feel like if i leave him we'll both end up in worse shape than we are now we have integrated all our stuff and i even changed my name ending things will be incredibly messy and painful and i'm honestly not sure either of us would survive it i'm aware that i can't change him he can only change himself and vice versa We have started couples counseling, but we only get a half hour every two weeks, and that's not nearly enough for all the issues that have come up. Do you have any other ideas to help us stay together? That's what we both want.
1: Okay, so I'm doing a little math here, not to be nitpicky, but the house was built six years ago and was never cleaned. You only recently got married. So, I just have a hard time believing this mess, the eating habits, and the mental health issues weren't there for a long time before you made this commitment. And I don't really think it's fair to marry someone and then expect them to change all these things that were just in your face from the beginning. What do you think?
2: I can agree with that. Um, I think that a lot of us do commit to people's potential rather than someone's reality. Mm-hmm. and it sounds like you have somebody who is anxiously attached and people who are anxiously attached often have really good lip service because their fear of being left alone is just insurmountable.
1: Is it that, that 30 times a day, I love you, that's the anxious attachment?
2: Yeah, I think overall, I mean, he's a, attached to stuff too. Mm. Um, you know, and in, the, in the ending line, like we both really want to stay together and it sounds mm-hmm. like neither one of you are having the best go at this. I actually really love, I want to just call that out. I want to steal this. Do you have any ideas to help us stay together? That's what we both want. I think that's beautiful, that kind of endurance, that perseverance, that uh, commitment to your commitment is lovely. And I love how you wrote this. And it seems like you're gearing up to ask, should I stay? And you're like, let me be clear. This is still my person and I want to figure it out. And I think that's really valiant and very beautiful and something that I'd like to borrow. My response to this is... Try living apart together. Mm. It's a new way that a lot of people during the pandemic actually found to to be in relation with each other when they just realized that the living together part was really the problem. The being uh, on the line for each other's emotional bids constantly without any time to recoup or regenerate on their own. And then of course, just the natural lifestyle differences of how you like to live and how I like to live, how I want my room set up, how you want your room set up. And no one has to say there's a one size fits all and that any other kind of love is not as valid. And I know that it seems very expensive. But even if you took the money that you're giving to a counselor and tried to figure out, you know, there's probably areas and pockets in which you are spending that you don't even realize even brain power, the fact that you are not able to be as productive as you possibly can, because you're spending a lot of your creative energy trying to fix this person and your relationship. So I know it seems like an expensive suggestion to attempt living apart together, but I would try to budget how much it's costing you right now to do things the way that you currently are.
1: I love that. That's such a good concrete idea that I would not have thought of at all. Um, And I'm going to borrow that and start to suggest it to all the people who write in with like these intense problems about messy houses. Like, Just try to live apart for a little while.
2: It's very hard for people to take hold of this concept because we've all been fed the same narrative that if it's really love, you should want to be on each other all the time. You should want to share everything. But you have proven you really do love this person and you really are committed, but you also really don't enjoy sharing a space with them. And both of those things can be true. And there is a different structure that can champion that.
1: Right. And it it is a dramatic move. I don't want to act like it's easy. But what you're describing seems kind of hopeless otherwise. And you're saying you don't know if either of you will survive breaking up. That's really, really intense. And it tells me that you need some kind of like, A way to take the pressure down in the relationship. And I think having your own space is the perfect way to do that. Um, I would add too that it sounds like he needs help with his depression. And again, maybe this is always expensive. I always hesitate to just say, go get treatment, go get therapy, because I know it's tough to find a good fit. It's tough to find the right therapist and the right medication. But I would make that a priority as some space is freed up from not living together and not having those daily battles because it sounds like he really needs help.
2: Well said. Okay,
1: those are all the questions we have for this week. I hope we've been helpful. Thank you, Shan.
2: Thank you for having me. This has been so awesome, Janae. I really appreciate it.
1: You said a lot of smart things. I'm like, I'm taking notes on. So I'll You try said to a lot of smart things
2: too. And I'm also taking notes. And I'm taking notes from your questioners too. Tons yeah. of smart people. We Definitely. did it. We killed this.
1: Thank you. Listen and subscribe to Shan's podcast, Lovers and Friends, where she takes a deep dive into anything about sex, relationships, and the science of attachment every week with expert guests and friends who will tell all. It's everything the talk should be. Do you need help getting along with partners, relatives, coworkers, and people in general? Write to me. Go to slate.com forward slash prudy. That's slate.com forward slash P-R-U-D-I-E. The Dear Prudence column publishes every Thursday, and you can join us for the Dear Prudy live chat on Mondays at noon Eastern.
2: If you would like to hear your question answered on the podcast, we are looking for letter writers who would be comfortable recording their question for the show. You can stay anonymous.
1: Dear Prudence is produced by Sierra Spragley-Ricks with a special thanks to Brandon Nix. Editorial help from Paola De Verona. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. I'm your dear Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. Until next time.